This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The following is a presentation of A's Cast, your free 24-7 nonstop destination for A's baseball. Go to athletics.com slash A's Cast to download the app. Restrictions apply. This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. Watch the left field deep. Bam going back. Looking up. He will watch it fly. And 29 other MLB clubs. 2-2 pitch on Trout, and he blasts one. Way back. Go for Yelich. Cody Bellinger hits one out. Beat on. So he's your home run derby champion. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe. From spin rate to juiced balls to game-changing moments, we have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. So I said, you know, one thing that we really need to be happy about, and I truly believe this, look since Billy Bean took over. The A's have been in the playoffs 2000, 2001, 2002, 2003, 2006, 2012, 2013, 2014, 2018. I mean, and and there's another year in there where the A's won a ton of games and didn't get in. It was a tough sledding. They get in, it's basically 10 times in 20 years. It's pretty remarkable. I mean, we we, we should feel very fortunate. We watch a lot of good baseball. I mean, that's that's just the bottom line. Now, I know a lot of you could come back and go, hey, but they haven't won since 89. I get it. I, I, I get it. Yeah, it was 2004. They were 91 and 78, and they, di- they didn't get in. But you've watched a lot of good baseball as an A's fan. And when they're down, they don't stay down for long, and that is a big key. They don't stay down for a long time. And maybe a couple of years – But they're back up. But here's the question that I got. All those teams I just rattled off, they can never make it happen. And there's something about this franchise in those last 20 years when they did get in. Dumb plays in the postseason. Up on teams, can't put them away. I mean, just some bad moves, lack of toughness, postseason toughness. You know, you got, you know, Verlander's not perfect in the postseason. Teams have gotten to him, but he dominated the A's in 12 and 13. 
You know, you can't be up on the Yankees way back when. And then, of course, the Jeter flip and all that stuff. I I know you don't want to hear it, and it's painful. But the thing is, those teams were all talented. That They weren't tough. They had great players, yes, but they weren't tough. They won a lot of games, and they'd always start off slow, get hot. But they weren't tough enough to play in the postseason. Is this group the group that is? That's my question. The moment can't be too big. You got to win game five. You got to win, you know, in a five game series. You got to be able to win game seven in a seven game series. You got to be able to stand up to these teams that are in the postseason and beat them. I mean, they've only won one series. Out of all those nine, one series. And then they went and got swept after that. It's t- it's tough to get to the postseason. It's even tougher to win when you get there. Because you're playing the best of the best. And that can be said in every single sport. Look at the Golden State Warriors. We've talked about what a great team they are. They've lost twice in the finals. It's not easy. Everybody wanted to hand the Warriors these titles. Did they win titles? Yes. Great team, no doubt. They're going to have Hall of Famers. But they've lost twice. Tom Brady's not perfect in the Super Bowl. When are we going to see a team that's tough enough to where if the wild card game is in New York, you go in and you take it to the Yankees. They didn't last year. They weren't tough enough. Drove me nuts because all I had, oh, the stage is too big. When is the stage not going to be too big? Is this the group? That's the number one question. They got nine games to get themselves into the postseason one-game playoff at the Coliseum, destiny is in your own hands. Are you tough enough to do it? Because with the Rays, I mean, with the uh, Tribe winning, they're right in this thing. Somebody's going to blink. Who is that going to be? And it better not be the A's. But one of these teams, you know, it's a numbers game. Somebody's not getting in. Somebody's going to be sitting out. Are you tough enough to win that wild card game? Are you then tough enough to go into New York or tough enough to go into Houston and actually win a series and to stand up to the superpowers? There's three superpowers, Dodgers, Astros, Yankees. You're playing one of them if you win this one if you win this wild card game. You realize to get to the World Series and win the World Series, if that is truly a, our objective is we're playing for the World Series. You're going to have to probably, I, I do believe the Dodgers will win the National League. So that means to for the Oakland A's, who have not shown toughness in the postseason for 20 years, They're going to have to go through not one, not two, but 300-plus win teams 
think about that. I think it's safe to say we can research it. No one's ever had to do that in, in, in this modern-day format. Has someone had to beat, and, t- and did they beat, three straight teams that won over 100 games to win a World Series? That is the daunting task that's ahead of this team. Can you do that? Do you got big enough cojones to go on the road and be the road team to start out the series against either the Astros or the Yankees? And, you know, the Twins, they're no day at the beach either. Has it happened before? I was just looking up 100-win seasons. And I don't. Is this accurate? From 03 to 2016, we didn't have a from 2004 to 2016, we didn't have a team win 100 games in a year. Because 2017, we had the Dodgers, Indians, and Astros all won 100. Now the Astros that year went through the Indians, who had 102 wins, and they went through the Dodgers, who had 104 to win the World Series that year. So that's two. But I'm looking. We want that. We want that many years without a team winning 100 games. That doesn't sound right. Well, you think the internet's lying to you? Well, I mean, Wikipedia is not always correct, but. It's usually pretty good. Yeah, they're usually pretty accurate. I mean, we're always told in college not to always trust everything you read on Wikipedia. But oh, I, I believe everything I read on the Internet. I believe everything I read on Twitter. Uh, Twitter, absolutely. Blue check mark, absolutely. If you have, don't have a blue check mark, probably still going to believe you. Jim Harbaugh once said, it was on, it must be, it's on the Internet. It must be true. Because that, that was Harbaugh's thing, but yeah. Jim Harbaugh once said, it's going to get real, real, real fast. <laughs> His uh, One of my favorite ones is him talking about um, Thanksgiving against the – Thanksgiving against the Seahawks, and he's like, what do you want, Abraham Lincoln to ride in with a top hat and a frock and all this stuff? And he just went off. I was like, what, what is he talking about? Okay, how about the one where Harbaugh, was, where they're at the groundbreaking ceremony, and he goes, with a shovel and a sword, we're going to build this thing. <laughs> what about, what about, it's in the Constitution, Tim. <laughs> Harbaugh's great. You know who's buddies with Harbaugh? Bob Melvin. Bob Melvin and, and Harbaugh are buddies. I, I've, I've efforted uh, to get to get Jimmy Harbs on the program because Michi- oh. Michigan, this could be their year. Well, they say that every year about Michigan, but Big Blue, this could be their year. And I'd love to have Harbaugh on because they say, hey, listen, we're not talking football. We'll talk A's and baseball and Bob Melvin. Yeah, Michigan never got back to me. It's okay. It's all right. Hey, we got time. He, he is a little busy. He's in the middle of his season. Yeah, they're they're coming up. They, they got a game against Ohio State coming up eventually and probably Penn State. He's got to beat Ohio State. Yeah, and Michigan State. They got to win some games in that and the Big Ten. So that's a good – Northwestern's not a team to sleep on either. Northwestern? Although they lost to Stanford in the first game. If I'm yeah, right, they, they lose game one to Stanford? They I lost don't game one to Stanford. They beat Stanford last year. Stanford got them this year. But that's the thing, folks. That's the daunting task in front of you. If the Dodgers win the West, you got to go through three 100. Three 100. And Minnesota, by the way, they've got 93 wins. They might be able to get to 100. If Minnesota gets to 100, you're guaranteed you got to get through. Has anybody else in the National League got a hundo? The Braves might get to 100. They've got got six more to go, and that'll be it because St. Louis only has 85. I have to believe 
and unless someone just shocks everybody, I got to believe that it's going to be the Dodgers or the Braves in the World Series. If I'm a betting man, I'm not betting Cardinals or Nats or Cubs, Brewers. So there's a good chance you're going to have to get through three 100-plus win teams to win the World Series. And bonehead mistakes, not playing your game, not being able to put people away, you'll get crushed in the postseason. I mean, you could just go back and look at those efforts. Hudson, Mulder, and Zito. Teams weren't tough enough, couldn't close out. Didn't win the final games. Can this team... Can this core be those guys? I found an error in this. Because it doesn't have 2001 when the Mariners won 116 games. See what I mean? It goes 2002, 2003, but it doesn't have the Mariners in their 116 wins. Maybe it's just going by how many teams, like multiple teams won. I don't know what you're looking at. So I, how, I, just typed how, in 100, I, I just typed in 100 win seasons in Major League Baseball. And then you, know, you don't have the team that won the most, tied to most games ever on there. Well, the thing for me with the athletics is, once again, it's great. It's great that they go to the postseason all the time. It's great. But at some point, which team is going to rise up and do something in the postseason and make a run at this thing? Because they have the kind of core talent now and young talent that the next couple of years, and Liam Hendricks said it on A's Cast Live on this very show from the field two days ago. So I said, I had him and Matt Olson, I said, hey, I see you guys. You could win a World Series in the next couple of years before the new ballpark. And Liam immediately said, this year, all right, let's see it. Ned Coletti, former GM of the Dodgers, assistant GM of the San Francisco Giants, now a scout for the San Jose Sharks. If you didn't get to hear it, we'll put it up on A's cast, friend of the program, Ned Coletti. Ned said it. No one used to go to Giants games. Giants attendance stunk. I covered those teams. Those, 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 I covered those teams before they went to Pac Bell. People showed up for Dodger games. I mean, but that was, you know, and then all of a sudden, if you build it, they will come. And they built Pac Bell Park, and they've been slaying it ever since. Make a playoff run, win a World Series before that new ballpark, and just look how everything will change. Life will change in front of you. As A's fans, winning, playoff runs. Look what it did for the Warriors. Look what it did for the Giants. you got to make playoff runs. you got to show some cojones in the postseason. And if you do that, they will come. They'll pack the house. Everybody will want A's access. Everybody will want to listen to A's cast. Is this the year? God, I sure hope it is. Well, we're honoring a terrific Hall of Fame class coming up here at the Coliseum, and it's so fitting that going in, 
with Mark McGuire as we talked to Big Mac about Tony LaRussa, how special his time was here in Oakland. So the two of them going in is really special. And Tony joins us here on A's Cast Live. Tony, thank you so much for taking the time, and congratulations getting into the A's Hall of Fame. Well, thank you. It was just an amazing opportunity to walk into that situation. There was so much talent there, and yet the front office and the ownership, it was a perfect yeah, when I think about the Haas family, talk about the Haas family because I know what they meant to you and what they meant to this franchise, and they always were trying to give you everything you needed to win. Well, they just did it in a, in a way of of same kind of culture you try to build on the team, a family thing where there's a brotherhood, you know, we're all for one, one for all, and, and that's how the Haas's, you know, Wally and, and Walter, they made you – want to be a part of it uh they wanted they earned their your respect and trust they did everything they could for you but you know there were no pushovers but they just genuinely cared for you and uh we we tried to return as much as we could to them yeah so this saturday when you go in and wally's going to present his father walter haas jr you know, we'll talk about this and also big mac but first start with mr haas what does it mean for you to go in with him Perfect. You know, am I just, I think you talking about with Mark or with Walter? With Walter. We'll start with Walter. Oh, well, I just, I, I said, it, you know, you had a box of what ownership, a bunch of boxes, and you put check marks of this, that, and the other one. I mean, Walter checked every box, and uh, he had a way about him that was very unusual. He was very nice. You could tell he was really smart. He ran a great company, but uh, he had, uh, a way of endearing himself to these players. A lot of them have, you know, they had a little arrogance to them and some egos, but nobody wanted to disappoint him, which nobody wanted to take advantage of that niceness. It, it was a terrific quality that he had. We recently had Mark McGuire on, and he called you a second father. I mean, the time that you guys had in Oakland, the time that you had in St. Louis, and then the fact that you brought Mark McGuire back into baseball as a coach Talk about going in with Mark and that special bond that you have with him. Well, it's, uh, you know, Mark is a very special guy because besides that great talent, you know, he was one of the best teammates you can find. I mean, he was beloved by everybody because he was he's truly unselfish. He wanted to contribute. Uh, he could definitely produce, but he was there for for his teammates. I mean, whatever they needed, he tried to provide it. And, you know, to have a guy as a rookie – he was a very talented rookie, you know, broke the record of a long time for home runs, but you watch him mature as a person and as a player, as a hitter. That's why at the end there, you know, asked him to be the hitting coach because he got really, really smart about the whole thing, what the swing looked like, how to, how to prepare and how to compete against a pitcher and make adjustments. So it's just a combination. With Mark, it's a combination of his, uh, the professional talent, but his personal qualities are just about exactly what you need. You know, the great thing having him on – was that there's a lot of people, a lot of our younger audience, had really never heard him speak before. And one of the questions I asked him was how proud he was of that home run race that a lot of people believe him, Sammy Sosa, you can also throw in Cal Ripken Jr. in the streak, helped bring people back to baseball. And he said how proud he was of that and that people stop him all the time to thank him. You lived through that. What what was going through the – what was it like going through that with him, that home run chase that was just so amazing? 
Well, I had teammates on that Cardinal talk. You know, we had some great times and had some, you know, some October appearances and everything. But they say that that day in and day out drama of Mac and, Sue and Sammy was the, probably the most memorable thing that they went through because it was so exciting. Uh, it was very glamorous and it was really good for baseball. It got people energized again. Uh, I think the thing, you know, you had two different guys. Sammy's very outgoing. You know, he he loved the publicity. Sam, Mark is really, uh, you know, he, he's a little shy and doesn't like the spotlight. And what I saw him do was emerge as a, a spokesman for baseball, you know, because that's what he had to do. And he became a leader and, and, uh, and, and that's just part of his development. So here again, like I said, I saw him as a young guy and I, I saw him become a father of many kids. This guy's come a long way and all that's good. I think about your time with Dave Duncan, the special relationship, and if there was a a way to get a pitching coach into the Baseball Hall of Fame in Cooperstown, he'd definitely be in. Talk about your relationship and how the two of you really changed baseball, especially when looking at how to utilize a bullpen. Dave, I've uh, some fans know, some don't, but you know we both signed with Kansas City one year apart in the '60s, so we really knew each other for a long time. And he had a solid major league career; I did not. But from those early days and all the way through the end of our time together, Dave was a very, very intelligent man, uh, uh, very studious, and uh, he he could be anything he wanted in uniform. He could have been a manager, could have been a hitting coach. Uh, but he chose pitching, and he brought a level of sophistication as far as a lot of stuff that you're doing now with with these percentages. Dave did manually because he charted everything, and then he knew how to interpret the data. And one of his great genius qualities was that Dave could make whatever the uh, information was, he would apply it, tailor make it to, you know, Kurt Young was different from Dave Stewart, and Bob Walsh was different from Mike Moore. So, uh, to watch Dave, uh, you know, here again, develop as a coach toward the end, he was one of the first ones to use video extensively. And uh, he actually did some computer work and everything. So he's a complete pitching coach, the best, the greatest, but not to disrespect anybody else, but he is the greatest pitching coach of all time. And hopefully there's a move, um, uh, there's a movement at times to recognize some way coaches in the Hall of Fame and uh I hope it happens sooner, better, and later, and Dave will be definitely be one of the ones that gets recognized. You know, I think about some of the guys you brought in who were projects that he worked with, whether it's Dave Stewart, who is now in the A's Hall of Fame, or Dennis Eckersley, who's also in the A's Hall of Fame and also in the Baseball Hall of Fame. You know, you had guys that came to you that needed help, that need to be changed, and you helped turn them into world champions and even Hall of Famers, talk about those kind of projects that you guys change the you you change these guys' lives. Well, that's why he was such an incredible asset to the organization. You know, if you're a front office guy, you know the general manager, you had your your operations people scouting and so forth. If if they saw a pitcher that had potential but had a problem, you didn't have to try to figure out if the problem matched your pitching coach's uh, skill set. Because Dave literally could work with any and helped everybody that he ever came into. And, and through his entire career, he went to St. Louis, did the same thing. And even when we first got to, together, I used to get so irritated that they say he didn't work with kids, young pitchers. Well, he worked with whoever the organization had. But in Chicago, you know, he worked with guys in their 20s that won Cy, Cy Young and won in the 20 games. So he was a complete pitching coach. 
and uh, it's a luxury for an organization to have a guy that can deal with anything that a pitcher has that's a problem. You, you don't have to cherry pick it because uh, the guy is missing uh, something that he can't can't provide to a pitcher. Well, Saturday night when you're getting inducted, you're going to be inducted at Ricky Henderson Field. Ricky uh-huh. Henderson is truly one of the greatest players who have ever played. What was it like your relation with your relationship with him, and what was it like managing him? Uh, well, my first ten years, first of the White Sox at the A's, and he had gone to New York. He was the opponent, and you recognize that he's the most dangerous player of our generation, and he could beat you in so many ways. And then when Sandy pulled that that, that deal off in uh, the middle of '89, that made us a perfect club. I mean, I put that team against anybody anytime. And Ricky was, I mean, people, they game planned to prevent him, and you couldn't prevent him. And what you found, once you got him on your side, you know, a great sense of humor. You really like to connect with his teammates. And as a manager, I just think you had to respect that Ricky really knew his body. And uh, and one of the things, every once in a while, you know, you could feel his legs get tight and he needed a couple of days, and you gave it to him. But just communicating with him, you recognize how smart he was and really a good person who's, very much loved by his teammates. And when you think back of those teams that went to three straight World Series, where we talked about Big Mac and Ricky and Jose and Stu and Welch and Moore and Eckersley, you had so much talent. What was it like to manage so many great players at one time? You had so much leadership on that team that, you know, I, I half kid, but it's mostly true that you know, job, my job was to tell who we were playing at what time it started. I mean, just let them go. I mean, they were really, really good. And, uh, you know, I'm personally, because I think I could have done much better. That team had to have won more than just the one championship, but it's in the book. And, uh, uh, but that period of excellence right there, uh, they, well, you couldn't look at anything that club needed because it had everything. And, Chris, I, by the way, I, I, I'm right now I'm flying, starting to fly to the West Coast. I'm getting to the airport, so I'm going to have to cut off. So I'm sorry. No problem, Tony. We always appreciate the time. Enjoy Saturday going into the A's Hall of Fame because you definitely deserve it. All right, thank you, man. Look forward to it. Do we have the voice of summer? Do we have the the new minted Hall of Famer? Ken Korak joins us here on A's Cast Live. Ken, how was your book signing last night? It was wonderful, and thanks to you for helping to uh, promote it on your postgame show. We actually had a really good crowd out there, and uh, we closed the place down, <laughs> and Susan and I had a, a nice chat with a lot of the folks that were there and uh, signed some books, so uh, there were a lot of A's fans out there, Chris, and a lot of them mentioned that uh, they had listened to you on the postgame show talking about the signing, so uh, thanks for that. You know, you've done two books now, and I, I get the feeling that because people have read your books and they've heard you for so many years doing the play-by-play that they have this connection with you like they really know you. What is that like for you having such a just a, a unique relationship with the fan base? Well, I appreciate you saying that. I guess in the romantic sense of what we do as broadcasters, Chris, ideally you'd like to be considered like a member of the family because we're a constant. And that's also one of the great things about baseball. And we could say the same thing about you because uh, you've been a tireless worker for this ball club with your new show with Ace Cast during the postgame shows. And so um, I think it's one of the I think it's one of the reasons that that baseball on the radio, Chris, is still viable. 
because we're there every day. Um, and I think it, it speaks to the beauty and the romance of the game, and that is that the the pages of the story turn every day. You never know what's going to happen. These chapters get written, and here we are at the end of the season, and this great story has developed for the A's, and we're just really fortunate that we get to chronicle all of it. You know, usually we don't talk about ourselves. We're always talking about other people, but – you know, when, when, when you go into a Hall of Fame and you go into the Bay Area Radio Hall of Fame, it's now time to actually talk about you and your career. This is a big honor, and you're being recognized with some of the greatest voices, whether it's play-by-play, whether it's talk radio, whether it's people who have been so successful in the, mu- in the music industry here in the Bay Area. Just how moving is this to get this honor, and, and, and you're finally getting it on Saturday? Well, it happens when you get old, I guess, you know, <laughs> but no, I, you know, Chris, when I started in this business, um, and I started in Petaluma in 1980 and I got to San Francisco fairly quickly and I thought I was ready for that opportunity, but I think maybe psychologically or emotionally, I wasn't really in, and you and I've talked about this, that, uh, when you grow up in California and you have these remarkable influences. I mean, I grew up listening to Vince Scully and Dick Enberg and Bill King and Chick Kern and Lon Simmons and Kent Durdevonis, who was my broadcast partner when I was doing AAA baseball. And Phoenix used to say that it was kind of a blessing and a curse to grow up in California because these guys were incredible influences. I mean, what a, how fortunate we've been to, to grow up having these, these iconic broadcasters as, as major influences. But then you know, how could you ever be as good as those guys? And that was really intimidating. And it was a, it was a long path for me to kind of get past that sense of, you know, how could you ever be that good? Well, you, you have to come around in anything you do in life to just, just say, you know, I'm just going to try to be myself. I mean, you have to sink or swim being myself. So that's a long-winded answer to your question. I just wanted to have a part to play here. Uh, just have, a, have a, a part to play and try to make an impact in whatever small way that I can here in the Bay Area because it's just been such a a thrill to work here. And I don't think that it's a coincidence that I've, um, whatever level of success I've had in spending 24 years with the A's, that it's come in the Bay Area because this has been home for me uh, for so long. And when I'm on the air talking to A's fans, I feel like I'm talking to my friends and people maybe I've gone to concerts with or hung out with in the, in the past. So that, that's been, I think is, is gratifying uh, thing as any and the other thing a couple things is that when they when they started this uh, Bay Area Radio Hall of Fame the first two inductees in the sports category were Bill King and Lon Simmons now it doesn't get any better than that you know I replaced Lon on the A's broadcast and he made such an incredible mark on both sides of the bay in baseball and then of course for the 49ers and then with the 10 years that I spent with Bill who was the greatest influence in in um you know, the, I think one of the biggest reasons that I've spent 24 years with the A's was the endorsement that I got from Bill um, in the early days. So, uh, and also, Chris, the fact that um, the Hall of Famers themselves vote for uh, the inductees every year. So when it comes from your peers, um, I do think it means a little bit more, too. You know, the crazy thing about you, and there's that old saying, is you never want to be the guy who replaces the guy. You want to be the guy who replaces the guy who replaced the guy. And I think in both instances, as you said, Lon Simmons, he's one of the great voices. And then, unfortunately, when Bill passed, 
but then you took over for Bill. So you've had to replace the guy twice, and it's been seamless. Well, thanks for saying that. I think I'm fortunate. If there's anything good thing about good about getting older, is that I think I'd reached kind of a stage in my career where my approach was I'm just going to do this as, as best I can uh, and sink or swim based on me uh, being myself and give it my best shot. And you have to look at yourself in the mirror at the end of the day and ask, did I give it my best shot today? We're not always at our best, Chris, but we, we try our best. And I think you would agree with that uh, philosophy. The other thing is that I think really helped was that I spent 10 years with Bill. Um, and as I've said many, many times, in the early days when it was dawning it was to replace Lon, uh, Bill and I had a really good chemistry almost right off the bat. For whatever reason, he was the iconic, revered broadcaster. So, you know, he didn't have to go out of his way like he did to make me feel welcome. And I've said this a million times, uh, Chris, and you know this, and that is that I felt that Bill's endorsement of me really meant that maybe our fans were thinking, you know, if, if Bill King thinks this guy is okay, then maybe he's okay. Yeah, because let's face it, you have a, you have generations uh, of fans, and of course, you know we know all about it from your book. But these fans, you know, you grew up, and he did the Warriors, he did the Raiders, and then he did the A's. So whether you were you liked all three teams, or you're just a basketball guy, or you're just a football guy, or he touched everybody who was a fan of these franchises. And you really don't have broadcasters like that anymore who will do like, I mean, because the demand and the scheduling, it's just too tough to do three teams or two teams at one time. But, I mean, it's amazing. Yeah. I mean, doing, doing, doing three different franchises, I mean, just talk about the greatness that he really is, Bill King. The greatness of Bill King. That right um, is. Yeah. <laughs> the thing, one of the things about Bill and that we all try to develop would be an emotional attachment. And I think when you listen to Bill, and I started listening to Bill in the 60s to the Warriors, um, and then even in the Raider games when they were on TV, I'd always turn the games off in the last five minutes so I could listen to Bill on the radio if the game was coming down to the wire. The fans had an emotional attachment to Bill which doesn't always happen in our business, Chris, as you know. There are people that are really good, but they don't have that, whatever that, that quality is that Bill had. And I think it came because of his authenticity. I think that was the thing. If you listen to Bill, you know, you knew that Bill King was his own man. He was living life on his own terms. He had this great erudition. We all know about how well-rounded he was and the, the multi-facets, the many facets of his life. But Bill King was authentic and genuine. And that's the way, I think that's the main reason why he wore his passions on his sleeve, that, that fans had this, this emotional attachment to Bill, and that really set him apart, I think. And you think about your career with the athletics. It's about to be, you know, the 10th time the athletics have gone to the postseason and your tenure. You've got, you've got to broadcast a lot of really good baseball. Well, yeah, and I've joked around about this, and I think there's a certain level of truth that nobody, nobody has ever said good broadcast after a loss, right? And I've done some of the worst broadcasts in my career that are great games, and people go, well, great broadcast today. So I've been very fortunate in that we've delivered very good news to the A's fans by and large over the years. And that's been one of the, most, one of the greatest things, one of the greatest gifts that I've had in my career. 
because I've been in a position. You, you think of, of some of the broadcasters, Chris, over the years who've been with bad teams for decades. They've never had the chance to broadcast the postseason. If the A's go to the postseason this year, this will be my 10th postseason with the A's. Um, I've had three no-hitters, including a perfect game, a 20-game winning streak. I mean, there aren't that many people who can say that. Uh, so that's been a great gift. And I do want to say this as well, Chris, and that is that the, one of the, the most important things, and I talked about the need to be yourself in this business, the A's have allowed me to do that. Uh, they've nurtured that from the standpoint that I've never had anybody looking over my shoulder during the time I've done the games. And that, that really is an incredible thing. That doesn't happen everywhere. And I know you know that because you've been in this business a long time and you've worked for different program directors. You have different philosophies of, you know, kind of ideas of what they want, how they want you to approach your job. Uh, the answer have never second-guessed anything that I've said. Um, and, and so when you go on the air with the freedom to be yourself, to do your job, and you have the confidence in the front office that you can do that, uh, that is, has really been a wonderful thing for my career. Yeah, that's well said. And because, you know, for me, as someone who has to give opinion on, on a daily basis, I've been very fortunate with all the, I mean, I've done so many A's games and so many broadcasts, you know, whether it was Ken Priest or now Matt Pearl, you know, they do give us the freedom. They do give us, they trust us with the brand. And I, I, not every team is like that. Not every team that I've been around where I do pre- and post-game shows, you know, there's always people that say, hey, why did you do this? Why did you do that? Why did you say this? Yeah, I knock on wood. I mean, that's one of the great things about mm-hmm. working around this organization is that they allow us to be professionals. And there's a tradition in the Bay Area that goes back probably to the days of uh, even even before the Giants moved here, but, of course, in 58 with, uh, Russ Hodges and Lon Simmons, even back in the, the minor league days here, uh, kind of playing it down the middle. And I think it's, listen, everybody knows that we, we love to get excited when the A's do well. And we'd be lying if we said that um, our jobs aren't a whole lot more, you know, enjoyable and easier when the A's are doing well. But one of the things we've also tried to do is our job is to sell baseball. And I think there's an appreciation for a great play by the other team. And that was something that was really important to Bill. So if you can't get excited, I imagine there are in, in certain markets that if the play-by-play person got excited over a play by the opposition, there'd be some blowback from the front office. That's never happened here. And, and it goes along with my philosophy, and that is I'm, we're trying to sell tickets. And how can you sell tickets if you don't appreciate greatness on the other side? So appreciating greatness is not just exclusive to the A's. No, you're right, and that, that's that's what we do. We we sell the game, and we sell the sport, and, and we love the sport. You know, a, a lot of people that are A's fans and probably younger A's fans don't realize that you also, for years, did football at my alma mater at San Jose State. You also did some great years down with UNLV basketball when they were the running Rebels. J- just talk about the other things that you have done outside of baseball that have led you where you are today. Well, thanks, Chris. And there, if I'm to, you know, I, I, I'm going to spend a little bit of time um, offering some thank yous when I get the chance to um, give my little speech on Saturday. And it began doing high school games in Petaluma. And those people were very instrumental. I worked at KTOB Radio, where you've got a well-rounded broadcasting education. 
stations like that are dinosaurs now, where I was doing high school football, baseball, and basketball. I hosted a talk show. I played records. I recorded commercials in the afternoon. So uh, those kind of opportunities um, are going away in our business, and that's too bad. You know, I did Sonoma State games for three years. The folks up there, Ralph Barkey, who was the athletic director, was the basketball coach at Santa Barbara when I was going to school there. <laughs> so I've had, I've, had great, I've had great support, great mentors, athletic directors, managers, coaches. I had a great time doing San Jose State games. And those really were the halcyon years of San Jose State football. And I wish Dave Ellis could be at the event on Saturday. Dave's been fighting a battle with his health. But we spent seven years. Dave was my, my broadcast partner. And as you know, they had great teams. It wasn't unusual for them to beat Cal and Stanford in the same year on the gridiron. And I did three ball games for them. Uh, basketball, the fortunes weren't so great, but still wonderful people to work with. Uh, the 12 years I did uh, UNLV, uh, one of the reasons I went there is I wanted to experience broadcasting big-time college basketball. Now, when I was there, we had a lot of controversy. You know, as you know, the yeah. MC2A was knocking on the door, right? A few times, but I got to call a couple of I got to call a couple of NC2A tournaments in 1998 and 2000. And as a huge basketball fan and someone who tried to play the game for many many years, being able to you know broadcast for a team that was playing in the tournament that was really a thrill for me. So I I really you know I did when I started in the business, Chris, and I, I say this to young broadcasters now that my my suggestion is you may want you may your dream might be to do baseball. But try to try to um, get as proficient as you can doing all three sports. Or you know, if you, if you love other sports like hockey, and you were mentioning Rizanowski earlier on the show, um, do as much as you can because you never know where the break might come, and you need to have various avenues uh, of pursuit in this career because then you just enhance your chances. Well, I really want you to enjoy this honor because it's well-deserved. I wish I could be there. You know I'd be there if I was in town. Unfortunately, I'm going to be on the road with the Raiders in Minnesota, but I'll be thinking about you. It's well-deserved. You're you're a wonderful man. You're a great broadcaster. You've been a very good friend. And, you know, enjoy this. You know, sometimes you know everybody wants to be humble, but really enjoy this because it's an incredible honor. Thanks, Chris. And I do want to take a second. Uh to mention to all of your listeners that you've, you've been incredible this year and how hard you worked and you kind of built this thing from scratch. And I know you're not going to be at any more of the home games because you have Raiders obligations. And if he is into the postseason, one of the great benefits will be that you can come back and do your show. But you've worked tirelessly to get this whole A's cast you know, off the ground. And I think all of us who work for the A's really appreciate um, everything you've done because this has been a, a huge vehicle for us and something we really badly needed as an organization. So thank you, Matt. Hey, thank you. Enjoy, Ken. Okay, buddy. Thanks. Can't wait to talk to our next guest as he's driving in traffic as we speak. Ned Coletti, former GM of the Dodgers, assistant general manager for the San Francisco Giants for years. And years ago when I was on KMBR, my old partner, I, Larry Kruger, used to have him on all the time, and he was – Always so gracious with his time, and he's had a heck of a run in Major League Baseball, and now he's going to be in hockey. Welcome new Shark Scout, the great Ned Coletti. Ned, how have you been? Oh, I've been doing well. Thank you very much. 
you know, it, it, it's, a, it's a long way from back in the day when, when Larry and I used to have you on as, a, as an assistant GM and to think now, now you're back into hockey. Well, it's, uh, it's been a passion of mine since, since I was, I don't know, five or six years old, along with baseball. It, uh, growing up in Chicago, it was the two sports that had different seasons to them, and I spent a lot of time, even as, as a kid, playing it, learning it, asking questions about it. And uh, here it is decades later. I'm still doing the same thing. And it's uh, it's been a passion of mine for a very long time. And I, I'm honored to have this chance. Didn't you used to cover the Flyers back in the day? Back in the day, yes. Almost, uh, boy, I, I can't believe I'm going to say this, but <laughs> closing in on, on close to 40 years ago. And um, I covered hockey for a couple of years. I, I, I was smart enough as a high school and college athlete to know that when I got done with, with that, it was going to be making a living some other way. I uh, wanted to stay connected to sports somehow. I uh, got a degree in journalism, wrote sports for four years before my baseball career. And right before I went to the Cubs in 1982 is, is when I covered the Flyers in 80 and 81, a little bit 82. So I think about your career. It, it, your career has been as a, a talent evaluator. And I think about all your time in, in pro sports are there going to be similar similarities between scouting hockey guys and baseball players, or do you think it'll be different? Well, I think the skill set is is somewhat different. Obviously, you've got you've got different different skills you need in each sport. I think the the character of who's inside that jersey, who's inside the sweater, that'll stay the same. You you've got to have people who will compete. You've got to have people that are willing to sacrifice for the good of the group. Uh, that that never changes, and that's really not different in any sport, nor is it really different in life or business or, or just family. And I think that you know that that characteristic is to me, talent certainly is a a great separator, but also who's inside, who's the player, who's the person, is also I think really important. And I think the um, that similarity I think is is when you've done it as long as I've done it, you know you, you kind of pick up on that just intrinsically by watching and talking and listening. And I think that that is the same. I think it is different. You know, you've got you've got skating ability, you've got you know, hands are important in sport, whether it's an infielder, whether it's a center, whether it's a, a goaltender, you know, some of the, the traits of, of great athleticism are the same. Sports a little bit different, but again I've I spent probably the last twenty years or so spending as much time as I had available in rinks and talking to to great GMs like, like Doug Wilson and uh, and Brian Burke and Scotty Bowman, Lou Lamarillo, Dean Lombardi, on and on and on. I just spent a lot of time in their presence and in their company to ask them, to, to seek advice, to seek counsel. Uh, they would call me for the same thing because the challenges are by and large the same. Challenges of, of competition really don't vary much sport to sport. You know, I think about Doug Wilson. Obviously, he was a terrific player, and he's been the – God, I want to say he's been the general manager since, like, 2003 for the San Jose Sharks. He's got to be one of the longest-tenured uh, front office people in sports. Tell us about your relationship with him and how this job came about for you. Well, I, I watched him play when I was working for the Cubs in my hometown of Chicago. I had a great respect and watched him play a lot. So I knew Doug Wilson, the player. Then I come to San Francisco, 
And before he was a GM, he was still in the organization in a high-level position in, in, in player development. And so I got to know him a little bit more more one-on-one at that point in time. And then as he became the GM and I started to spend more and more time down in San Jose during the, the Giants off-seasons, uh, we, became, we became good friends and associates and, and, and people that would would ask each other. You know, he was one of the people I would call during a, a challenging time in my tenure as an assistant GM or the GM of the Dodgers, and vice versa. A lot of communication back and forth. Somebody I've got tremendous respect for, very, very smart, very dedicated, very, very well-planned in, in his approach, how he sees the game. He reminds me a lot of, of Brian Sabian and his anticipation and his understanding of when the right time it is to make a decision. And it was probably one of the greatest traits I, I learned from Brian was that, and I see a lot of the same similarities in Doug. Very very dedicated to it, as every GM is, but really he's got a, a perspective and a touch for it that I think is, is rare even among the rare number of people who have a chance to have that position. You know, I, I, I think about your time in San Francisco, and you mentioned Brian Sabian, and Bruce Bochy got win number 2,000, and they honored him today at Fenway Park. Both these guys look like uh, – you know, things are changing for them in their baseball lives. If you could speak about both these guys, because I know you know them well, they, they both had phenomenal careers. Well, they really, really have. And I've, I've watched Boach play as a player, and I've also watched him later in his career as a manager, both in San Diego and then in, in uh, San Fran. And I've been in the NL West for 25 years, and, and so has he. So I've watched him manage. I've watched him uh, lead groups. I've watched him really hold people accountable, hold players accountable, and really always, always take everybody to a level beyond where they had been. Even San Diego days, those teams were very well schooled, did not have big budgets, big payrolls, but he maximized everything. And I think he made almost every player that he, that he led. If they wanted to be better at what they did, he helped them get better, and he held them accountable along. I think he's somebody that uh, when I we saw him in San Francisco against San Diego, and then when I saw him from L.A. to San Francisco, uh, every time we you'd play that team, you knew that you were going to have uh, a, a match, a matchup in the dugout where his his mind was always going to keep everybody sharp and keep everybody moving in a in a direction to to try and beat it. You can win games on the field, certainly. You can also sometimes win them in the dugout. And I think he was great at it. I don't think there's any doubt this man's going to the Hall of Fame. Uh, Saves, I feel the same way about. I think Brian Sabian is a Hall of Fame general manager. You've got three world championships in San Francisco. I think the last National League team that have won three in a short period of time, like the Giants said, may have been back in the, in the Second World War era. I think it's been a, that long. And to be able to do it, and also the 2002 team, which, which went on to, to a World Series and got beaten seven by Anaheim, which unfortunately I remember that very clearly. Um, I think that that's really a, a beginning to, to a case that says he ought to be enshrined in Cooperstown right along with Boach. And there's something else, too. When you think about San Francisco and the Candlestick Park days and how the team was, was sold or about to be sold to Tampa and the, the late Peter McGowan, great guy, and Larry Bear, Another one that, that, that kept really forging forward to keep their franchise there 
And Saves was the general manager starting in 97, just as I think it was Pac Bell Park when it was first yep. uh, first opened. Uh, we, we put together teams that started to capture the fan base and started to make it a popular place to go. I think in the, in the history of Candlestick Park, I think it was there 40 years as the home of the Giants. I think they had three years where they drew over 2 million people. Every other year was under 2 million. And now you think about you think about AT&T Park or Oracle Park, and you think about the 3 million people, 3-2, three, 3-3, two, three, three, sellouts for years on end. It was the architect of the baseball team. And the ballpark is beautiful, and it's in a tremendous location, and it's, it's really brought that area to life. But also, the team had something to do with it, and he was the architect of that. And I think that when you tie all those things together, plus the longevity and really just how his mind works and, and how good he was at projecting talent and his decision-making, knowing when to make a major decision, not everybody can do that. I think he belongs right next to Boach. You left San Francisco to take over the Los Angeles Dodgers, and Los Angeles is a whole different animal. And you go down there, and it's an aggressive group. They want to win. It's big money. You got Magic Johnson walking around. What was it like being the GM of the Los Angeles Dodgers? Truly an honor. And uh, I worked for two different ownership groups here. One was uh, the McCourt family. And then the other one is Guggenheim Sports Partners. It was always an honor to be here. I had a great time in San Francisco. Fell in love with the city. Franchise was great. Peter and Larry always treated me very, very well. It was, it was tough for me to leave there. But again, it's an opportunity to become the general manager of an iconic franchise. And uh, never took it for granted. Uh, a lot of expectation here. LA and San Francisco, two great cities, but two, two different cities, too. And being from the Midwest, certainly, I wasn't from the Giant. I wasn't from San Fran or L.A. So, you know, people in L.A. were a little put off when I first came here because they said, oh, you know, we got to go get a Giant guy. But, you know, I didn't grow up a Giant fan necessarily. <laughs> I became a Giant fan when I started working there. But it was, it's like any other GM gig in a way in that, you know, you're on it every day. And the expectations are always high. And when you at a market like L.A. and a city and a team like the Dodgers, your expectation is every year to get to the postseason and to be good enough to challenge for the world championship. And, and that was something that, you know, I didn't find daunting. I found it invigorating. In fact, as, as I was talking to Doug Wilson and Doug Wilson Jr. and Joe Well uh, the last few months about joining San Jose, uh, what I missed was that competition and that expectation and the accountability of, of, of being, being responsible for a, a baseball organization. One that's got a lot of civic pride to it. And one that's, really iconic in so many different ways. And I, I, I took that as a great challenge and it's something that I missed the last three, four years uh, in the role I'm in, uh, not being, uh, not being with, with a team, but not necessarily, you know, having anything at stake with it except a rooting interest. Yeah, let, let's end on this because, Ned, I've lived in San Jose since 1991. I got here right before the Sharks when I came up to play baseball at San Jose State. And I, I've watched the arena be built. I've watched this team since game one when they're at the Cow Palace, and it's an organization that has great expectations. Their, their goal every year is to win the Stanley Cup. You know, talk about joining the San Jose Sharks, and just like you do, you talked about the Dodgers, it, it's always about trying to win their first championship. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's, a, it's not easy. It's not easy to win. And, and maybe that goes back to the Sabian conversation, too. Uh, there's a lot of great teams that, don't win the last game of a, of a postseason. 
it's it's hard to do it and i don't know if you can ever predict result but you can certainly your presentation and your preparation and and the process you put yourself through i think that's where you can make a difference and as i look at this franchise you know i followed them for a long time i've been following them for really almost the entire existence of it i got to san francisco in the mid 90s so they were not they were not there very long when i showed up and being a big hockey fan as i was there was a team that I watched and a franchise that I saw grow and become really a staple of, of that part of the, of the Bay area. Uh, expectation is huge. You know, I've been in meetings the last few days and, and um, off and on. And I, I understand what the goal is. I get it. I'm, I'm not hearing anything that I don't understand and I'm not hearing any path that I, that I don't uh, completely agree with hundred percent because of, of who's in charge and how they, how they play and, and the ownership and the fan base. It's it's made to be successful, and they're going to do everything they can to to get to the the last game of a, a playoffs playoff run of four series and win it. Well, Ned, you, you've always been good to me in my career. I always appreciated it, and we always have rooted for you. And now with the Sharks, we really can root for you. Congratulations on the gig, and I'll see you at the arena. Hey, thank you very much. Appreciate being on today. Well, I got two guys with me who mean so much to this franchise. Matt Olson and Liam Hendricks are joining me here. And first, Liam, you're going to get the Dave Stewart Community Service Award tomorrow. What does that mean to you, being presented by Stu himself? Yeah, it's cool, especially now that his number's being retired. It's, uh, it's always a cool thing just to be acknowledged for what you're doing off the field. But uh, at the end of the day, we're not coming into the, se- the season looking for acknowledgement for the stuff we do off the field. This is just a way for our charitable stuff and all the charities we work with to get a little bit extra uh, coverage. And then I think about being nominated for the Roberto Clemente Award. I mean, all the stuff you do off the field, that's a, that's a really big deal. Yeah, it's, And it's, if you can win that, wow. Yeah, it's, it's a really cool thing, obviously. Um, you're going in there, not looking for any awards, as I said. But, uh, yeah, the Roberto Clemente, it just carries such prestige with it. It's, uh, it's always nice knowing that not only that the front office thought I was doing a good job off the field, it was like it was the, uh, that we're doing something good for the community, which is always a good thing. And, Matt, I think about the year you're having. I mean, after what happened in Japan and the way you've rebounded and your year has been fabulous, what has it been like really help carry this team to where we are trying to get into the postseason? Yeah, it's been great. Um, you know, I think we're all happy with where we are right now. Uh, you know, a lot of uncertainty with the injury and, um, you know, knowing what a handmate does to some guys. And, uh, you know, I just wanted to come back and, and produce and, and help the team win, like you said, and, uh, you know, been been pleasantly surprised. Well, I mean, you're having an incredible year, and thinking finishing up with 11 games, these are some really big numbers you're putting up. <laughs> you know, what has it been like for you? Like the light has clicked, and all of a sudden, I mean, it's just it, it's been real dominating at times for you. <laughs> yeah, you know, I don't know. I, I just feel like I'm, I'm getting to a better place. Uh, you know, I feel like I'm, I'm noticing things in my swing quicker, where in the past it might be a week, 10 days before I, you know, really hone in on, on what's going wrong and, and what's causing bad results. And, you know, instead of that, I'm taking one or two days and addressing the issue and, and you know, getting back on track. I mean, the team's record, Liam, when he's not here versus when he is here, it's dramatically different. I mean, to have a power-hitting first baseman who's a gold glove, I mean, the luxury of that is huge for a team. Yeah, I mean, you look at what we did against the Astros. We went 6-8 uh, of eight the last time, and I don't think he played with the first three series we played against him, and we kind of didn't do well. So it's 
having him over there on defense as well as the presence in the uh, in the lineup is huge for us because not only not only is it what he's been able to do on the like at the plate, but it gives everyone else a little bit. Okay, well we can't. We need to pitch to Chapman. We need to pitch to KD. We need to pitch to Mount Canna because we don't want to get to Olsen. So it's like all the other guys are benefiting from it as well because they get better pitches to hit. How big is it for you guys as pitchers to know the kind of infield defense you have out there behind you? Yeah, I mean, it's awesome. Obviously, uh, last night I just didn't keep it in the field, but it's um, <laughs> it's part and parcel the way it goes. We have, we have the utmost respect for everybody that's out there. I mean... I, I wouldn't. I'd be surprised if we didn't have more than two Gold Gloves this year coming up. So we've got a bunch of guys out there on the infield and outfield that are being able to do it pretty good. Yeah, and I want to bring up my my notes blew off. I want to bring you guys something that I, I don't know if you guys know about your teammate Marcus Simeon, because I'm sitting here championing him as a guy that should be an MVP candidate. I know he'll probably go to Trout, may go to Bregman. I think he needs to at least be top three. He joined this list, 116 runs, 173 hits, 38 doubles, 7 triples, 30 home runs, 85 RBIs, 78 walks, 10 stolen bases in a season. There's only been three guys who have ever done that. Babe Ruth, Lou Gehrig, and Marcus Simeon. I mean, Matt, how can this guy not be an MVP candidate? He should be. Um, you know, with what he has done this year, uh, defensively goes unnoticed, offensively goes unnoticed. The guy's out there every single day. Um, he's, he's a machine, honestly. Uh, you know, he, he prepares with the best of them, and, and he's having one of the best years that I've seen. And, um, you know, I know we're not necessarily the biggest market and don't get the, the most media attention, uh, but uh, I, I really think he should be up there in MVP talks. And one thing that I mention all the time, and, and you just kind of alluded to it, is that when a guy plays every day, and he works his ass off every single day. If you're in that clubhouse, you notice it. It's leading by example, isn't it? For sure. You know, you don't have to. You don't have to come out here and and have the camera on you and you know be a big rah rah guy in order to to lead. And um, he's doing it. He's he's coming out, setting the tone in the leadoff spot. You know, I saw he he just surpassed Ricky for the most leadoff home runs or most home runs from the leadoff spot in the season. Um, you know, he's coming out, putting together a good at-bat, first at-bat of the game. And, uh, you know, I think it, it's a big it's a big thing for him to come out and set the tone. He's doing a great job this year. Yeah, is that any good when uh, Ricky Henderson, Babe Ruth, Lou Gehrig, when they're talking to you about that, Liam, <laughs> is that any good? I mean, I don't know. <laughs> Seems to be all right. <laughs> I mean, anytime you get mention anyone of from that caliber of talent, I mean – you're doing the right things, and it's a, it's a credit to him is how much hard work he's put in. I mean, he's out here every single day. People don't see it, but he's out here every single day working hard, making sure he gets better than the day before, and that's, that's insane. Do you guys get the sense that you're already playing playoff baseball right now? Uh, uh, a little bit. Every now and then there's a couple games where we feel like we're going into it and we're like, okay, do or die kind of thing. But um, every now and then it's just – at the end of the day, we're going to play every game. We're up by whatever games. In the ball. I don't even know what that record is in the wild card. I don't know what it is because I don't want to worry about it. All we need to do is go out there and win each day. And if we win each day, we're going to be just fine. I won't tell you it's one. Uh, <laughs> do you get that sense at all, Matt? I mean, we're down to 11 games. This is, a, this is no doubt a sprint to the finish line between you, the Rays, and the Indians. Yeah, you know, I, I think Liam said it perfectly. We we can't get caught up in that because at the end of the day, if, if we handle our business, we feel like we'll be in a good position. But, uh, yeah, you know, it, it's it's coming to the end. Every game counts, and 
I think we're aware of that, but it's not it's not like we're uh, adding any pressure to ourselves by that. Uh, I think we just find a way to come out here and, and play our game. Do you think playing last year at Yankee Stadium in that wild card game will truly prepare you for this wild card game? I think it will for sure. Um, there's a lot of a lot of unexpectancy going going into New York last year. Uh, a lot of younger guys, a lot of guys who hadn't been in that wild card game scenario before. So uh, just living through it, uh, having that experience last year in such a hostile environment is uh, going to do nothing but help us if we're in that same scenario this year. Think about your journey. One year you could be starting the wild card game, Liam, and the next year you could be closing out the wild card game. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's definitely changed a little bit my scenery but um at the end of the day it is what it is we got to go out there and uh, if, if it's at home if it's in tampa if it's in cleveland whatever it is it's going to be an electric crowd and we're going to go out there and you're going to handle your emotions i think uh, playing in it last year is definitely going to be a boon for us just going out there and knowing that okay we've done this there's some guys on the other team that haven't done this before let's go do what we need to do yeah, how big would it be, to, Matt, to have this game here at the Coliseum? Because I guarantee you it will be a packed crowd. Yeah, it would be awesome. Uh, you know, first of all, that, that would mean that, that we handled our business these last 11 games. And uh, second of all, to, to have this environment, um, you know, when we pack this place out, it's a tough place to play, come in as a, as a road team. So, uh, you know, I, I would assume that the wild card game would be packed out and it would be a lot of fun. Yeah, that's the one good thing, that the situation you're in with 11 to play, you truly control your own destiny. Mm -hmm. For sure. And no and one wants to come here. No. Nobody wants to come here. I've been talking to other guys. Nobody at all. No one wants to come here. They don't want to play it. If Pound for pound, we've got the best fans in the league. If we sell out this place, it's going to be the loudest place in baseball. There's no doubt in my mind. We have the most passionate fans if they come out. If they come out, we're going to be all right. I can tell you, I was just here on Sunday because I also work for the Raiders, and when it's, it's packed like a Raider game, and that's what we saw in the playoffs in 2012 and 2013 where guys like Ver Verlander and Cabrera were saying, this is by far the last stadium I've ever been in. That's why it's so key to get that game here. By the way, the field, you know, I know after this second game where the Raiders played back-to-back -back games, for you, how, how, how tough is the field out there? <laughs> Uh, you know, it's it's definitely different. Um, anytime you got a bunch of 300 pounders running as hard as they can and cutting, there's there's going to be some things that happen to the, the surface. But uh, you know, there's nothing we can do about it. We we can't change the the NFL schedule. So uh, you just got to come out here and adjust and and do what you can. Uh, hopefully, you don't take one in the teeth. <laughs> <laughs> you know, one thing that, and I know you really can't talk about it. And, and I've done this for Chapman. And I've done this for Simeon, and I stay on Billy Bean, and I stay on David Forrest, and I talk to, you know, the, I got the David Forrest show every single week. I've been talking about there, there needs to be guys that need to, need to be inked up long term that are pillars for this franchise. And you're a guy that I'm fighting for right now with those guys saying, hey, you, you, you have something really, really special at first base. And I, I hope you know the fan base, we talk about you in the postgame show, I hope you know that this fan base, they want you around long term. Well, I appreciate that. Um, you know, I, I definitely want to be here long term. I got drafted by the A's. This, is, this has been all I've known. Uh, I love playing here. I, I love the crowd. Uh, I love the, the guys in the, in the clubhouse and just the environment in general here. So, uh, you know, stuff like that is, is a little bit out of my control. And, um, 
you know, if it ever if it ever comes to me, it, it'll be something that you know I, I definitely would would like to have happen. But you know, until then, uh, I just got to play game by game. You know, we're trying to get wins out here, and, and that stuff will handle itself. Well, we really appreciate you taking the time coming down to our set. How are you doing? Great, great. Thanks for having me. You know, last night was a very interesting win for you guys. You, you, you struggled a little bit against the Houston Astros. You're coming in here against a team that's red hot in the Oakland Athletics who've won six in a row. And a big comeback victory for you guys. What does that mean for you guys, especially for the young players learning at this level down the stretch? Uh, yeah, I mean, baseball's a crazy game. You know, stuff like that, it doesn't really matter. Yeah, records or whatever, you know, crazy things can happen in this game. Um, but that was big for us. Uh, we're at the point in the season where, you know, we're trying to build build for next year, trying to get some guys uh, some confidence, um, get them reps in the big league. So last night Brett Phillips came up, you know, against one of, if not maybe the best closer in the big leagues right now and uh, hit a big game-tying home run for us. So um, that was good for him, good for our team moving forward. And uh, everything we're doing right now, like I said, is, is building on, on – um, building for next year and a guy you know very well because before we started this interview you got to see Liam Hendricks yeah. and uh, you talk about one of the great stories and turnarounds in baseball when you see a friend like that do something the way last year he was DFA'd on June 25th next you know he's starting the wild card game next you know he's an all-star it's been truly one of the great stories no question yeah it's great to see him doing well um, I feel like half of over half of the pitching um, the pitchers on this team are, are ex-Royals, you know, between uh, you got Liam, you got Diekman, you got Homer, you got Manaya, you got Bookter. Uh, I think that's it. But we got a, got a bunch of bunch of ex-Royals in this team, so it, it's good to catch up with these guys. And you're going to get over 200 hits this year. Hope Le so. Last year you led, the, you, you led the majors in hits. You got close to 200. What's that going to mean to you in your career to get 200 hits? It's been a goal. It's been a big goal for me. Um, I know who I am. I know what kind of player I am. Um, and certain milestones, you know, for me, I'm probably never going to hit 40 homers or anything <laughs> like that. But uh, 20, ho 20 hits uh, has always sort of been a, a milestone. Just it, for me, it just represents consistency, um, durability, and just going out and, and uh, having success on a, on a pretty regular basis and um i'm close to it now at five to go it's people you know like like you said you, people think i'm gonna get it but it's still the big leagues is still hard you know it's still hard to go out and get a hit much less five so um, i'm taking one at a time and hopefully that 200 number will come sooner than later hey don't sell yourself short with this juice baseball you never know how many home runs you'll hit i don't know if you've seen how, you know what, <laughs> what pitchers are doing out there but uh we could whether the balls are juiced or not, we can use all the help we can get, especially for, well, here, here this is no cupcake of a park to hit a homer in either, but Coffin Stadium is really big. So um, going to other parks, for instance, Houston came in town and uh, saw Bregman hit two balls that he watched a little bit thinking they were homers and they were caught three or four steps before the warning track. So it's, uh, it, baseball is a unique, a unique sport in the sense that Everyone gets valued on their numbers, but the variable is different everywhere you go. You know, in football, every every field's 100 yards. Basketball, it's always a 10-foot goal. Baseball, it's always different. Every field you go to is different. Uh, so to see what our guy Jorge Soler is doing, if he was playing in 
of any of the other parks in the big leagues, he'd have 60-plus homers right now, and there's no question about that. So it's uh, – yeah, juice balls are not um, – I'll take it. Yeah, well, I think about, as you said, this is this this park's not easy to hit in. Right. I mean, you can go across the bay. San Francisco's the same way. Kansas City. Kansas City's moved the fences in from way back when in the George Brett, Frank White era, and it's still hard to hit it they out. Mo- they moved them in, then they moved them back. To the, are they the same dimensions what yeah. they used to be? They moved them in, and then something wasn't right. <clears throat> excuse me, wasn't right, and they moved them back. And then they uh, they said though when they built the fountains, it it cut down. Uh, I guess the wind used to blow in a lot, and when they built the fountains, it cut down the wind, so the ball started carrying better. So I guess that helped. Yeah, and. and that's what's so important about certain analytics where they factor in the ballpark so we can see your value versus somebody who plays in a bandbox. Because, of course, you're going to have different numbers based on, I mean, as you mentioned, there's weather, people playing different type of weather, whether right. you're playing indoors, you're playing outdoors. I mean, that's the good thing about these ballpark factors in these certain analytics that really help guys like you who play in a bigger ballpark. Yes and no. I struggle with that because there's a, there's a certain confidence that comes to a hitter when they step in the box and know that like when I play in Yankee Stadium I know I can step in the box and I don't have to hit it great to hit a homer to right field that makes me a better hitter you look at what DJ LeMahieu is doing now I was talking to some guys when I saw the Yankees sign DJ LeMahieu and I was like this guy's this guy's gonna go off just why he's gonna have an unbelievable year and sure enough that's what he does because he hits the ball so well to right field now he knows if he gets behind in the count, he can stay on he can stay on anything and just flip it to right. And chances are it's going to be a homer if he gets in the air. And when you have that approach, it turns you into a better all-around hitter. And you know analytics can't really factor that. So there's a there's a certain confidence that comes with playing in a in a hitter-friendly ballpark. I'm glad you bring that because everybody thinks about the numbers and analytics and that they mean everything. There's there's still the human element to yeah. the game that a lot of people are trying to take out of it. No question. I'm. I get analytics. I, you know, in some aspects, I get that it's helpful, and um, but I feel like teams are using it as a crutch too much. Um, instead of going out and watching a player, all they're doing is looking at numbers, and it's it's a it's a lazy way out, in my opinion. It's a lazy way to evaluate a player. It's a lazy it's a lazy way to to try to figure out what kind of player that you're looking at, and. Um, yeah, I, I'm not a huge fan of the way that where the direction of the game is going, but um, try my best to to fight it. You mentioned Solaire last night tying Trout in home runs. Just talk about this just incredible natural power that he has. Yeah, yeah, he's. I've never seen Juice like it. I've, I fought hard for him to be in the home run derby. Um, unfortunately, he didn't. He didn't get the call, but he would have put on a just. An incredible show. Just I get to watch this. I get to watch this guy in BP every day, and there's, there's, there's nowhere he can't hit the ball, and he can't hit it 500 feet. Um, I, I think some of some of his stat cast uh, uh, distances are a little off, just because of I've never seen balls hit some of the places he's hitting them, and they always end up being like 440 to. 450. And you're going, this is 500. Yeah, it's, al- it's always <laughs> in that range, and, and, ne- and it never fails. Like the ball last night, it was 446. It's always in the 440 to 450 range, and there's no way. There's no way. But he's got some of the some, – I mean, he has the most raw juice I've probably ever seen, and um, he's really putting it together this year. He's 
he's getting his pitch and he's and he's not missing it and he's being more selective and he's uh, turned into a really good hitter. Well, let's end on this. I mean, you're having a great year. You're an all-star. You've led the American League before a couple times in stolen bases. You're having a, a great career. And I got to think the future is bright for the Royals because at all these different levels, you've got a ton of young talent. They're all winning down there, learning how to win. How excited are you going forward with the Royals knowing that you've got a lot of good young players that are going to be coming here to Kansas City? Yeah, it's exciting. Obviously, you want a good, strong farm system. Uh, you want depth. And we feel like, um, you know, I, I haven't got to see it firsthand yet because most of those guys haven't been to big league camp yet. Um, but from talking to our front office and some scouts, they're excited about these guys. They're excited about these arms that we have. And um, that's, that's going to be good for the city. And it really is just a matter of guys gaining confidence up here, guys like Solaire, Mondesi, Dozier, these guys putting it together. We need more of that. And once we, once we start getting more of that, um, you know, it'll, it'll transition in, into some wins. And it's something that we've been – I've personally been craving for a long time because I, I got to the big leagues in 16 right after the World Series, and we haven't won since. And, you know, I got to kind of experience the – the World Series hangover without ever getting to live in, live in the World Series. So um, I'm dying to get there and dying to get to the playoffs, dying to play in games in September that matter. And, um, you know, like, like you said, hopefully this these guys coming up can uh, can help us get to that point. Well, at least you know it can be done because you know it, you, you, you've seen it. I've it, seen it, it. It can be done. I've seen it from from the, the, uh, the jail of AAA. That's where I got to see it from. Well, good luck the rest of the year. Get those 200 hits because it's a great milestone. And uh, get some victories, and we'll talk to you next season. All right, sounds good. Thank you. Well, we want to welcome back. This guy was a terrific player, an all-star, a World Series champion. And now you see him on the MLB Network. He does a fantastic job. Cliff Floyd is with us once again. Cliff, how have you been? Good. How have you been, man? Well, the A's are hot, and we're making a postseason push, and you know what that's like. I mean, there's only nine games left, and, you know, a lot of the divisions have been boring, but the wild card race, both the American League and the National League, they've been a lot of fun. Well, they've been awesome. Uh, you know, I'm sitting in front of giving the, the Brewers game earlier today and, and, and just how all these things unfold and injuries. I think that's the biggest thing. You know, we always talk about down the stretch, uh, you know, these the, the teams that, um, you know, are fighting for opportunity and pitching and defense and all that. How about the injuries? How have they played a big role in, in some of these, you know, some of these races? I think that's going to be bottom line. And whether the teams step up or not, that's going to be bottom line, what happens when you look at these injuries and how they derail some of these teams. Yeah, and, and I also think about some of these teams that have the, the next man up mentality and normal, yeah. normally, if you're the manager of the Yankees, you're not going to get manager of the year. But this year, if I had a vote, I, Aaron Boone, what he has done has been brilliant with all the injuries. Man, it's been awesome, man. It's been awesome to watch how he's sort of constructed this team and, and got guys to play and not, and not put the pressure on themselves. I think that, that first and foremost is the most important thing when you watch how Aaron Boone has taken this team and go, look, this is opportunities for you to play. Don't feel the pressure. Just go out there and do your job. Don't try to be Superman. Nobody is going to replace Stan's numbers. And, and you can go down that list of players that's gotten hurt through that whole, you know, on, on that roster as the season started. But if you try to replace numbers, that's when the pressure comes. And I think Aaron Boone has done a terrific job of putting these guys in great positions, giving them time, you know, days off, and not 
putting the pressure on them to hit the three-run homers. To, to look, play your game. And if, if Giro Shella, if this is your game, play it. And guess what happened? These dudes have responded. They know exactly what they have to do. He and Dan positions to be successful every night. And and you can, I don't think you got Of course you couldn't ask for any more. You know, I, 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 I do the Bob Melvin show here on A's Cast Live, and we talk to the skipper every single week, and I finally got him to admit that it's now scoreboard watching time. Because all these guys, Cliff, <laughs> they, they all want to go, oh, I don't watch. I, I just pay attention to us. There's no way. These scoreboards now, and they're, 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 they're everywhere, and they're huge. There's, yeah. there's no way you can't be scoreboard watching at this time of the year. Man, everybody's watching that dang scoreboard. I used to watch that thing so much, my eyes used to hurt. <laughs> uh, you know, <laughs> right? You sitting there trying to stay focused, and, and you know, I mean, you know, especially – if you start a game later or you had a rain delay, nobody's in there playing cards. Everybody's watching the game. We can tell you every bat, every pitch, guys should have made plays. All these things happen this time of year, man. And, and even a tough game like last night and you know, in the college. I, th- those are games where you're fighting, and you know other teams are trying to send your butt home, right? You, the, the, the other teams that are fighting, the Royals and, and some of the, the Padres, they are th- these are players that's fighting for their lives come to you know twenty twenty, right? And and they and they're trying to make you fish just as long uh, along with them. So I think I think when when you plan these teams and you're going well, you have to win, not so fast. You have to play your game, execute, small ball, get guys in from third base, catch the baseball. All those things have to happen to beat these bad teams. Yeah, as they say, the other guys get paid too, so everybody's a, everybody's a professional. But you, but certain teams, if you feast on the bad guys, like Cleveland this year, they've won 17 of 18 against the Tigers. One of the reasons they're right on the Rays and the A's <laughs> heels is how they've beaten up on the Tigers this year. Literally, you know, and, and look, when it, when, it, when it gets to the point where you're feeling confident against those bad teams, you can beat up on them. But when these bad teams are playing you tough and they know the last series they were in it, they come they come they come in for blood. They can smell it, they can taste it. And they I'm trying I'm trying to tell you, I've been on both sides. I've been on a team that's lost a hundred games and this you know, this is our postseason. To play teams that's round the cusp when you see the A's two up in the wild card spot. They, look, I wanna send the A's home. You know, and, and, and when you when you flip it the, the, the guys in that clubhouse have to go, look, guys, when we step on the field, there's no time to, to sit there in the first inning and, and say, you know, let, let's, let's, let's just beat them down. No, beat them down from the first inning to the ninth, and then you can win that series. Then you can sweep them. But if you let these teams stick around, they will split. They will fight you. They will go extra innings. They don't care about what time is on that clock. They are trying to send you home just as well. So when you get these hard-fought wins, you got to appreciate them. You know, the last time we spoke with you, the A's were actually taking on the Rays. And we were talking about that then about how these organizations are so similar with their issues on and off the field. I just, for me, it, it would, it, it will, I'm not taking anything away from Cleveland, but just how fitting will it be if we have a, a, a wild card game on October 2nd that it truly is the A's and the Rays because they're mirror images of each other? Yeah, they, they really are. And, you know, when, when you look at how they go about their business, man, it, it, is, it is the way the game is turning. And it's a copycat league. I, 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 look, we can talk about the opener. Who started it? The, the Rays. We can talk about rosters. 
and how Billy Bean constructs things. They do things similar, and you can look at the analytical department, you can look at their scouting department, whatever the case may be, they do things that other organizations might not say that they're copying, but they're copying because it works. And if the formula works, now you, you, you can put your, your, your team in place how you see it, but if they're not seeing the same things and, and dissecting things the same way, you're not going to have the right formula. It's just too hard to duplicate. If you looked at the Patriots and go, well, Belichick, I mean, what is he doing? He's doing, I don't know, he's doing something that, that a lot of teams can't do and can't figure out. So I look at some. I, I look at I look at how these organizations. When you look at the A's, when you look at the Rays, and how they they start things and how they do the analytical department, I finally bought into the analytics because I know that's the way. If it's done right, won't won't be overlooked. Won't be something that's going to hurt the game. You still need your eyeballs. You still need to be able to put the pressure on guys to go out there and do little things right. But the analytics and certain organizations, I will say are doing it the right way, scouting departments are the right way, and you're seeing them turn into a successful thing literally overnight. You know, the bottom line with a player like you, Cliff, you put up numbers, your analytics are going to be good no matter what. Facts. If, I can, if you hit, you're going to find a place where you play. If you catch the ball, if you do, you know, little things right, if you can hit if you can hit that glove on the other half of the plate and not be cute and, and, and sit out there and, and, and try to nitpick and, and do all these little cute things that you see some of these pitchers do, ball one, three and one, three. Oh, no, you can't do that. you got to hit the glove, pitch the contact, trust your defense, and, hey, if you give up a little lousy hit because the defense is, is, is in a shift, that's not your fault. But you got to pitch the contact. That we see, I'm seeing so much ball today where guys are, are walking guys, next guy hits the ball in the gap, and then everybody's frustrated. I'm like, no you got to pitch the contact, and then that ball in the gap is nothing. So, and, and vice versa for, for, for hitters. Guys are going up swinging, you know, like, like they're hitting a three-run home with nobody on base. Yo, play the game. Understand what's going on when you get in the box. And when, I'm telling you, I, I sat there and watched the game last night, the eighth game. They just, they just beat you down. They, they put pressure on you, whether they hit balls foul, that's homers, whether, whether, whatever they do. They find players that just beat you down consistently, and that's why they end up thick of things every year. That that it's bottom line. I, I, I'm watching this game the last five, six years. I've been on TV on radio, and you, when you sit in front of the tube and watch how these teams execute, you see why they're sitting there at the top, either their division or at the top in that wild card. You know, I know you live in Canada part time and then Florida part time. Where do you live in Florida? I'm in Fort Lauderdale down here, about about. 20 minutes from Marlins Park. Yeah, that's, I, I knew it was South Florida somewhere. Tell me, yeah, what, tell, me yeah. tell me, what a dumpster fire it is in South Florida right now between the Marlins Man. and the Dolphins. Oh, my goodness. Look, I, and, and I've sat there numerous times and talked to Jeter. And um, Now, look, I'm going to tell you this about what Jeter says. And I'm, and I, and I'm not – listen, I love the captain. I think he's great. I think he's doing a great thing. I think he's trying his best to turn this thing around, you, we, you and I both know he is no loser. But then we say the same thing about Michael Jordan and Charlotte. He ain't a loser, but she's right? Um, I, I, I just look at the players that they have, and what, if, you, if they're going to underachieve for 140, 50 games a year, well, this thing will take a little bit longer than I thought. When you look at where the Dolphins are, it's a disgrace to even think about 
where and how you got to this point. I believe in full rebuilds. I really do. I hate the half-ass one. Excuse my friend. I just hate them. I hate when teams go, well, we're going to try to keep some good players and then, you know, integrate a few other ones next year and hopefully we turn around. No, 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 no. Rebuild? But I still believe you shouldn't be outscored 110 to whatever they've been outscored, 110 to 10. That's ridiculous, right? I mean, this this is the NFL. So um, to see how and where we are, you know, as a sports town, um, something has changed drastically in the near future. It's going to be, you know, hell, I'll be sitting in front of my TV the whole season. Yeah, you can't be going into games more than three touchdown underdogs. Come on, bro. I, I, I'm not going to the game. I love tailgating and going to Dolphins. I love it's the best thing. I love going down to Marlins Park. I mean, it's one of the, when you when you look what Jeter's done to that ballpark. I don't know if you've seen it. Um, it he's done a tremendous job of, of of changing some things up in that ballpark. Man, it looks awesome. It really does. I'm not even. It is awesome how it looks. Now the park on the field has to play. And that's the thing when we always talk about these prospects and we always talk about these draft picks that the Dolphins getting and, and, and you know, changing prospects and getting four prospects back for Stanton and Ozuna and Yelich. These guys got to play. See, prospects don't mean anything until you get in a fight. It's the league. You can't get no higher. Now you got a ball. And if you ain't balling, well, then what does those trades mean? Garbage. Flat out. And, I, and look, I, we've seen one player – with a good team, one player in Justin Verlander, we've seen one player. When you look at what they keep doing, the Houston Astros, you gotta love what they're doing too. They go, we're gonna get Justin Verlander, we're gonna win the World Series, and then we're gonna add Gary Cole, and then we and then we're gonna add Zach Greinke, because they know windows in this game, they close real quick. So you got a window of opportunity to win. And then all of a sudden things start to change because you got free agency, you got the game in itself just as hard to win. And a, a lot has to happen for you to be a repeat type of champion or anything else. So I, I just love how you look up every year and it's like, yep, they did it again. Well, other teams have to get to that platform. The only way to do it is to get these players to respond and go out there and play and, 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 and put it together before you add, you know, uh, uh, any, 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 any players to that mix. That in itself is, 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 is crazy to say, I'm, well, I'm just going to keep throwing money at a situation that I think is going to work out. No, these owners are too smart for that. So I also work for the Raiders, and we were down there last year taking on the Dolphins, and I went to Marlins Park on Saturday night before the game, and I went and checked out the Clevelander Cliff uh, and the oh, pool. That, that is legit. Legit, man, and that's what I'm talking about. When you start – when you start doing little things like that, and then they took out the, the, the big sculpture out in left center. They took the big Marlin thing out, right? So now you've got another area where you can chill and, and, and take in the game. But when you talk about the Clevelander, and you got a pool out there in left field, that's one of the reasons why the Marlins moved their damn bullpen to the other side. I figured that had to help. <laughs> hey, before we let you go, as we're starting to look at it, Give me the what you're thinking postseason wise. If you had to start picking people, you know, you know who's going to be in the World Series, who's going to win. Where are you leaning right now? Okay, so I, I, look, I think you have to say, I love. Okay, I'm going to be real quick. Kenley Jansen has shown me something. I thought that was the absolute black guy for them and talking about the Dodgers. The other, he's looked spectacular the last couple of days. If they can bow that up, I think it's the Dodgers because they. 
they, they, they know what they have to do. And I think Dave Roberts has to make decisions on the fly to put in position to, to, to win a World Series. I believe the Dodgers get there. On the flip side, I know you saw the news today with the, with the Yankees. And I think from a star rotation standpoint, I know you got Severino back, but you, 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 you just could avoid to lose, ill afford to lose uh, Domingo Herman. And I don't know what's going to happen with that. But I, I had the Yankees because they've played so great. I'm going with the Houston Astros and the Dodgers again. I know it's the easy way in, but can you see anybody being the Astros other than you guys out there in the Bay? I know the Bay going to go, what you talking about? Yeah, 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 the A's have to get in first. And I just I, I look at them right now and I go, the hottest team down the stretch. The A's are fighting. I just look at the Astros and how tough the roster is. They're one through nine. They got Correa back in there. The A's got to come with it. They have a shot. I, I like where they are. It's just that damn Houston Astros team, man, is is a problem consistently. Yeah, so, and they're going to be a problem I, I for would, years. I, yeah, I, I wouldn't be shocked. You know, because you, you and I both know this game is crazy, and we've seen some crazy things happen. You can easily get one hit, shut out, and it's like, whoa, here we go. But, man, it, it's just going to be tough to beat them. And if they do beat them, I mean, if they do win the wild card and get in, it's just so much going in in that in that American League that your your tongue will be hanging out your mouth by the time you even get to the dang World Series. Hey, <laughs> <A-A-A> hey, Cliff, <laughs> nobody's got better watches than you on that network. Hey, man, I say that's half the battle, right? I've had these things. You know what? I've had my watches. No lie to you, twenty years, fifteen, twenty years. I have a guy out here who has aftermarket diamonds that I, I, instead of taking them to the big spots and putting all this stuff, you know, all, you know, getting the prices where they're forty and fifty thousand dollars your boy go right, I go right around the corner to my jeweler, found jewelers, and and I get hooked up for, for half the price or less. And I've had them forever. I just keep them clean. And, and for anybody going, well, he got all these watches, where you keep them? I keep them in the safe, people, so don't come to my house. <laughs> Cliff, you're the best, buddy. We'll talk to you during the postseason. No doubt. Appreciate you, my man. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.